0: Morning, because I feel like it's important sometimes when he's going to bring the word, but the ground has to be ready. So I'm going to get your ground ready. And there's a story in the Bible about Nahum, and he had leprosy. And because of that, someone encouraged him to go and hear from the prophet a word from the Lord. And when he encountered the word from the Lord, he had doubts and whatever, but he went anyway. And he washed, got washed seven times in the Jordan to be healed of the leprosy. And God healed him. And the word comes forth today with power. There is a prophetic word that's going to be released that can not just take those broken pieces that we sang about and, and take super glue and glue them together. Because sometimes I feel like we think like that. Like all of a sudden, there's going to be this, just like, oh, this piece is cracked, and, we'll, and God's just going to super glue it. But in Name's story, in a place of incredibly hard, no, no hope, all the things, this is what happened. And it says, according to the word of the man of God, so at God's word, it says his flesh was restored, like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. God didn't just like bandage it up. He got the best skin an old man could have. Brand new. Wouldn't you like that? I mean, come on. When God does something, he doesn't just take some super glue and mend you together. He restores it and makes it new. Isn't that powerful that the word this morning coming to you could make whatever you're walking through something that makes you brand new? And that's the power of God's word this morning. As it comes forth, know that he's right there in the midst of you and he can make it new. So it's your opportunity to receive the word like Nahum. He had a word from the Lord and he could have walked away. So as a little servant or his friend or buddy, his comrade said, hey dude, just do it. I'm saying, just take the word and do it. Just take whatever the word is this morning and walk it out. And don't, don't hesitate. Like Get your heart activated in that place. Oh, I'm going to do what God is saying this morning. So God, we thank you that your word is powerful and effective and life-changing and transformational. And God, that your word can restore us back to 100%. That we don't have to be a bunch of broken pieces. We can be a new jar this morning ready to be filled with your grace and mercy. God, we thank you for your word this morning that brings life and healing. I ask for an anointing on Pastor John this morning like he's never experienced before, that it's a prophetic word coming to the people of God that will change us from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Everybody shouted.
1: Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good Good morning to everybody online. I'm just so happy to be here today. I can't quite tell you. To be up here again. I preached uh, about a month ago. And uh, I had to preach from down here. Because it uh, was as far as I could make it. And today, God is restoring more and more. Just like Rebecca said. And it's not me getting stronger. It's Him getting stronger through me. And I am so grateful for what He's doing every day. So with that, I'm going to uh, start the sermon that, that I've, uh, he told me to entitle The Blessing of Choosing Wisely. You know, in, in my job at the, uh, at the dealerships as their head chaplain, I hear it all the time. You know, if God was real, he wouldn't let all the bad stuff happen in the world which I usually reply something like, uh, well, you know what, if God only allowed the good stuff to happen, you know, the stuff that you want, stuff that maybe all of us want, would he really be God? Because of who he is and how he wants us all to know and love him by our own choice, our own free will, he offered us the choice to serve him and to know him. And to love him. Or not. And he didn't give us a mandate that we had to act specifically one way. In other words, we weren't designed to be robots. Whether we want to accept it or not, we do have the free will to do and to be and to live like he wants us to. or we don't have to. That choice to follow God is ours. But how do we do that? Especially in a way that brings Him the honor and glory that He asks for and He deserves. How do we turn this choice into a blessing? And how do we do it God's way, which is wisely? You know, Dave touched upon the. uh, idea of wisdom a little bit last week. But I hope we're going to go a little bit deeper this week in that subject of wisdom as we ask the question how do we use the blessing of God wisely? And how do we make choices that make it so? Let's think about this. Well, First let's pray. Lord I thank you for each one here and each one that's hearing what you want said today. I ask you to open up a space in our hearts To glean every last bit that uh, we can glean from it. That you would just make your presence known in a burning and wonderful way in us. And that you would just make these words make sense. Help us to live what you're putting into us right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Our first scripture for today is uh, found in John 5, 1-9. And in it it says, after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda or Bethsaida in some versions, which has five roofed colonnades, kind of like porches. In there lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water to be moved. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him very profoundly, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. A little later on, in verses 14 to 17, it says, Afterwards, Jesus found a man in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who would heal them. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So what do these verses tell us? Well basically I think they're telling us that in some way through the decisions that he had made in life, this man ended up being an invalid. Not only that, but he was he also kind of wanted what I'm going to call a a get out of jail free card that was supposedly offered by this angel as he stirred up the water every once in a while. So to put it plainly, he somehow got himself into trouble and then wanted somebody else in this case God to bail him out he wanted his will to be done but Jesus pushes back a little bit here in order to help him to see what's really going on along with uh, who is the one that really does the work because plainly the man's will hasn't worked for him for about 38 years I don't know what it sounds like to you but I can tell you what it sounds like to me because I always have people asking me in the shops and around the company for their greatest answer to prayer guess what that is usually pastor, give me me the winning lottery numbers please and I'll be happy you know what? We can get ourselves into all sorts of trouble and then expect God to get us out of it. That's not a real good thing. So what does Jesus say to this? Well, he says, you know what? See that that you sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, this is not saying that Jesus is going to make something bad happen, but it never fails that sinning causes all sorts of trouble for us. And it does so all the time. And if we don't stop doing it, more bad is going to follow the previous bad. How many of us have, have you know, if you pick up, you raise your hands, but how many of you have seen people who just seem to attract bad situations in their lives? It's like they go from one tragedy to another. And the worst part is they seem to thrive on it. Anyways, can you imagine they're lying there and having this incredible, what I would call kind of a self-pity party, for 38 years? I don't know about you, but I think I'd get pretty tired of waiting and waiting and getting nothing. I think I would try to make something happen to change the situation, even if that something was just my own attitude. And maybe the man did. We don't know. But it sure doesn't sound like it. Instead, he kind of expected others to pick up the slack for him. And to a certain degree, they kind of had to have. Or he wouldn't have still been there and alive after 38 years. They still had to be helping him. And then Jesus comes along and asks the wisest and probably the most probing question he could possibly ask. Do you want to be healed? In other words, do you really want your situation changed? Because it sure doesn't seem like it. Think about how powerful a question that is. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own little worlds, our own current struggles, that we actually get comfortable with them and we get accustomed to them. Sometimes, you know, they say familiarity seems like a better option than the unknown. And we start to believe that, well, that's our lot in life. Even if these situations aren't exactly good, they may be all that we know. So sometimes even bad turns into not so bad when we can't see any alternatives that will get us to good. So we tend to get into this sort of a funk, I would say, where we turn into Eeyore. Remember Eeyore? Winnie the Pooh's donkey friend who always goes around like this Oh, bother. I guess I'll just have to live with it. That sort of defeatist attitude is what we start making happen in our lives. Oh, bother. I guess I can't get into the water when it's stirred up. Oh bother, I guess I'll I'll never have happiness because I can't get such and such. Oh bother, I guess I'll never have all the stuff I want because I'm never going to win that lottery. Oh bother. You don't know anybody like that, do you? I did. And I'll admit it. My mom was great at that. I loved her to pieces, but she could get herself into the pity party of pity parties. Fortunately, I guess I was one of the only ones that she knew that loved her so much, loved her enough to say one important thing to her. Stop it. You are so loved and so blessed both by me and by God. What else do you want? In other words, the general expression was, Do you want to be healed? Do you want to change? Do you want to know the truth? What do you want to happen? Because for much of life, what happens is our choice. Both good and not so good. If we're okay with a mediocre type of life, then guess what? We're probably going to live a mediocre type of life. Because that's what we're expecting and that's what we're choosing. Even though that may not necessarily be what God wants for us. Because He wants what's best for us. After all, we're His kids. And He's our dad. Our loving Heavenly Father who owns everything. And knows everything, it's all his, and it's all at his disposal to use as he deems right. and he wants to do it with you. I, can t- I can't tell you how many people that I deal with every day don't realize this. nor do they realize the potential of what it means. I was with a friend of mine the other day, and we got to talking. Now this guy is very successful in the business world. And yet he got to telling me about how bad his childhood had been. And basically how, because of that, he really didn't think that he was worthy of love. In fact, that thought process had manifested itself in some very bad ways throughout his life. It seems that all of his relationships had ended badly, either because of him basically sabotaging them or him choosing to get into a bad situation in the first place. You know, we can avoid those situations if we just use our head first. And yet now he was on the verge of a brand new relationship, a brand new situation, a really good one. One that he had prayed to God about and he had really felt God was leading him into. And yet he was scared to death of this new situation because of who he thought he was. And I had to tell him and reassure him in the most loving and wise way I could. Stop it! That he was lovable. And that He is a Son of God, the same God that sends Jesus here for all of us and always wants what's best for us. So, you know, sometimes the most loving and wise thing we can do is to be blunt and direct in our discussions and our decision-making. But if we can't do that, we have another alternative. We can always look to the scriptures for ways to be wise. We have this book, a new thing, it's called the Bible. And it contains these guidelines for us to use. And so why do we have or why do we need guidelines? So that, basically, so that we'll be wise and blessed and in sync with God. that we'll live lives that are good and satisfying and godly. You know, we were created in God's image. If we believe what the Bible said, we were created in His image, so therefore we really should be living in His image too, here and now. Don't you think? Now God absolutely knew beforehand that if we had free choice, then we'd also have to have something to choose from, something to move towards, right? So what does that mean for us in a a practical way? Well, how about these jewels of wisdom that come from Deuteronomy 5, 6 to 22? You probably know them before we even get to them. Number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Translation, I'm God. Period. Get it right. From the start. For your own sake. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Translation, this is no joke. These commands have consequences because choices give you the opportunity to do otherwise. Number three, you shall not take the name of, of your Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number four, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord, your God, commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male and f- male servant and your female servant may rest as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Number five, honor your father and mother as the Lord... You- your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that your God is giving you. Number six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, you're not going to tell tales about them. You're not going to lie and generally make them look bad in front of others. Number ten, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And it says, These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out in the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. How would you define these words? These so-called rules, these commandments. Would you define them as wise? Absolutely. God gave them to us so that we would and could wisely know his heart. And you could say that we could know the rules of his ballgame. In fact, I would say that uh, they're not only wise, but they're a blessing. Why? Well, think about it this way. Have you ever had a boss that really didn't want you to succeed? Maybe they had someone else in mind for your posi- the position that you got into and they wanted you fired so that they could hire their friend, or for whatever reason, they just wanted you to fail. What's the easiest way for them to make that happen? Don't tell them the rules. And then blame you for failure because, well, you should have known. Or maybe even give you the wrong rules so that you would look even worse. You know, I've seen both situations happen. I'd say it's called bearing false witness according to God. And it's not a good thing. He gave us those rules against it because he knew such failure among us would happen. So he gave us a heads up to make sure that it wouldn't, or at least it didn't have to happen, or at least we'd know what was coming. We still had the choice, but we knew the correct answer. And that answer wasn't so much about us and our desire, but about him and his desire for us and how good he wants things for us. Following such rules helped us to be wise which really helps us to be blessed. But just like back then, you know, Moses is up on the the mountain. What are the Israelites doing? They're down below making a golden calf while they're waiting for Moses to come down with the commandments. Here comes the enemy trying to get us to think strange thoughts that would contradict or undo everything that God has tried to do for us and with us. I don't know if you know it or not, but there are other books out there, other authors that describe tactics that are there for the purpose of undoing the wisdom and the truth of God, along with discounting what we believe. One such author is a guy named Saul Alinsky. He's a radical who put together 13 rules that are, quote, to defeat your enemy and promote your new views. It's been used by the radical left as their guidebook for quite a while. I'm going to go over some of these rules a little quickly, but I want you to hear them because I think it's important for us to know That we as Christians, along with God as our Father and Ruler, are being attacked. And we're being attacked aggressively. In this country. And around the world. And I'm not so sure how much we realize it. From the the abortion situation. To the LGBT problem to gender-bending and some 50-plus genders that are supposed to be out there, and other cultural issues that are going against virtually everything that God has told us about and everything he stands for. Truth. Even the truth of Jesus and his love for us is being attacked today by the enemy. And there are workbooks that teach the enemy's followers how to get at us. How to shake your faith. How to rock your world. And how to get you to stop even thinking about Jesus. There are 13 rules to de- defeat your enemy. Just for your information, too. I don't even you know if you caught that. But we are considered the enemy now, we're the enemy of the enemy. So let's go to rule number four. This is a goodie. Make the enemy live up to their own book of rules. If the rule is that every letter gets a reply, then send 30,000 letters. You can kill them with this because no one can possibly obey all of their own rules. Or in our case, think of the Bible. How do we do that? Their fifth rule, oh, this is, a, this is a jewel. Ridicule is man's potent weapon. There is no defense. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concession. I don't know if you heard it, but the latest threat is that Republicans and Christians may soon be considered terrorist organizations. You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Not the case. Let's go to 8. 8 says, keep the pressure on. Never let up. Keep trying new things to keep the opposition off balance. As the opposition masters one approach, hit them from the flank with something new. I couldn't help but thinking about one new man-made virus after another coming at us. Number ten. The major premise for tactics is the development of operations that will maintain a constant pressure upon the opposition. It is this unceasing pressure that results in the reactions from the opposition that are essential for the success of the campaign of you like unceasing pressure? How many of us will give in, if we're faced with it, whatever it's for, if it's for good or for bad? And this one, this this is a key one. Eleven. If you push a negative hard enough and long enough, it will push through and become a positive. Violence from the other side can win the public to your side because the public sympathizes with the underdog. I think this uh, goes right back to 2 Timothy 4.3, which says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Why some of these passions are around, I don't know. But they are, and people friends, family, and more are buying these lies every day to their own detriment and I think to God's displeasure. Let me ask you this. If they were to publicly designate all Christians and all Republicans as terrorists, which they're trying to do, and they were going to try and jail you for thinking wrong, which is also something they've talked about, because you were one, of, one or both of those groups, how many of us would cut all ties with the church and with the party in order to not get caught up in that big, huge ordeal or not have to deal with it? Think about it. Because it could happen. Many folks, many folks throughout history have been forced to step on the Bible before they were allowed to live. It is not outside the realm of reality or possibility. With that said, I think I have to say this really definitively. Wisdom is something that we have to ponder now. And not just at the last minute when it's absolutely necessary and needed in order to be the blessing that God intended it to be, wisdom needs to be not just a concept, but a way of life. Just like it was to King Solomon. It is so cool what he says in 1 Kings 3, 9-14. to When Solomon humbly asked God, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you have asked for this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare to you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways and keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." In other words, Solomon pleaded with God to know what was right, to know what was good, along to know what was evil and what was bad. He wanted to be able to distinguish between the two. And he wanted to be able to live accordingly now. So what about us? What do we really plead with God for? What do we wisely and humbly seek from our Abba Father, the creator of all things, the beginning and the end, the one who has the answer to questions that we haven't even thought of asking yet? The story that comes next in 1 Kings 3, 16-28 is awesome. And it summarizes Solomon's God-given wisdom. It says in verse 16, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him, the one, one woman said, "O oh my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then, on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth, and we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house; only we two were in the house. And the woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me, while your servant slept, and laid him at her breast." And laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, he was dead. When I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, this one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead and my son is the living one. And the king said, so bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. And the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, O oh my lord, Give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall neither be mine nor yours. Divide him! Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death, for she is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that the wisdom of God was, was in him to do justice. The wisdom of God was in him. What about in us? Where does our wisdom come from? Do we choose wisely? Is our wisdom a blessing? Or does our wisdom come from sources like Old oh, TV, Dr. Phil, Jerry Springer, Judge Judy? Or public opinion, or from the latest science that contradicts everything the Bible says and stands for? Do we choose and make decisions because of neighbors, or friends, or even children and whims? And does the wisdom that we use, that which we make all our decisions with, end up being a blessing to us and to God? Or when we do it, are we regretting one decision we make after another? Do we hear Jesus speaking to us in our decisions and repeating to us over and over and over again what it says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Say that with me. Abundantly. I have to tell you, That's the God that I know. The God that I want you to know too. The God that brings us through struggles and pain and illnesses. The God that brings us through everything and never stops loving us. The God who sees us through thick and thin and always has an answer that is better than anything I've ever thought of. The God who makes us lovable even when we're not so sure that we even love ourselves. I've got to be honest here. I'm not the best at making the most wise decisions and choices in life. In fact, I've made a lot of mistakes. Mistakes that if I had continued on could have led me down a very different path. But I have to tell you, God's always been there to help his hand has always been there for me to cling to even when I've gotten myself into pickles or jams or whatever fruit you want to call it he has loved me and the best part is I know he loves you and he wants so much better for us than the world is offering he wants us to be blessed and to live abundantly As we choose wisely. I can't tell you what that looks like for you in your life, but I can tell you that God is there, calling to you, wanting you to see His hand, His love, His heart, His wisdom at every turn. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Choose wisely. And you will be blessed through Jesus Christ, our Lord, today and always. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, thank you so much that you are always there. That you give us the ability to be wise and to be blessed and to know how much you love us even when we don't understand what that means. You have better ideas for us than we can even start to imagine. And so we praise you for it. And we ask you, Lord, help us to make better decisions today than we've ever made. Help us to be able to pick out good and evil. Help us to be able to pick out right and wrong. Help us to be able to give our hearts to you without question and know that you're the one that loves us more than anybody else in this world. Lord, I would invite anybody up here today that has been struggling with that idea and that wants to finally accept you as Lord of their life, to come before this gathering and before our God and just to speak the joy that's coming into their heart because of a decision to seek you for life. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to know you personally. Thank you for your love and everything that goes with it. In the name of Jesus I pray.